All right. Here we go. Ready? Is everybody ready? Mike Johnston says he's Moses. I'm not making this up. Last night, our speaker, Mike Johnson, spoke at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., before the National Association of Christian Lawmakers. He told the audience that right before becoming Speaker of the House, Jesus came to him and said, You are Moses. Not making this up, the man second in line to the President of the United States is now hearing voices in his head telling him he's a Jew. Mike, you voted for Donald Trump. You're not a Jew. If you voted for Trump, you can't be a Jew. You're not Moses. More on this later on. But first, this is the mop-up for December 7th, 2023, a day that will not live in infamy. Thank you for finding me. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. The show is an audio podcast. Take me with you on your next walk if you're ambulatory. Or better yet, steal a car and enjoy me on your next drive. Do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a comment to let me know what you think and subscribe to my newsletter and, of course, this channel. We have a poll. We have a poll this morning. The question is, Mike Johnson is A, Moses, B, Satan, C, Paul Lynn's idiot grandson, we have a live studio audience in our chat room watching us on YouTube right now. Thank you for showing up. And uh, that's the live poll. I'll have the results at the end of today's episode. The question is, Mike Johnson is A, Moses, B, Satan, C, Paul Lynn's idiot grandson. About the uh, times when I do this show, I... Uh, been keeping an irregular schedule. I have uh, an older friend, a neighbor, who hasn't been feeling well, and I've been running errands for him. I've been doing this for a couple of years, and now it's getting to be a pain in the ass. He, uh, like I said to him, I've proven to myself and to you that I'm a nice guy. Now you're just being sick. And it's an inconvenience. Let me give you some advice, young people. Don't get involved with anybody because it's a pain in the ass. And you end up keeping irregular hours and you never know when you're going to do your podcast. Live a life in a bubble because this guy doesn't stop with me. <laughs> He's ruining my show. All right. Shall we? That's where I'm at. So I don't know when I'm going to have a regular schedule. Okay? I've already proven to myself I'm a nice guy. Now it's just an inconvenience. Don't meet anybody. A Nevada grand jury indicted six Republicans today or yesterday for participating in Donald Trump's 2020 false elector scheme. 
Even though Joe Biden won the state of Nevada, six Republicans, following carefully written instructions from Trump lawyers, met and are charged with forging documents claiming they were duly elected. This is now the third state. Nevada is now the third state after Georgia and Michigan to indict members of the Republican Party for participating in the phony elector scheme. Lawyer Kenneth Cheesebro, who pled guilty in the Georgia RICO trial, testified last week before the Nevada grand jury that handed down today's indictments. He purportedly wrote the memos outlining the false elector scheme and provided documents for them to certify so it would all look legitimate. The attorneys general of Arizona and New Mexico are also reportedly looking into possible prosecution of Republican leaders from their states, uh, charging them with participating in this phony elector scheme. Republican leaders pose as phony electors and filled out fake paperwork in seven states. They are Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, on Wednesday, 10 Republicans who posed as electors for Donald Trump in 2020 agreed to settle a civil lawsuit, not a criminal, a civil lawsuit filed by two duly elected Biden electors. In the settlement, all 10 Wisconsin Republicans agreed to admit in writing that Donald Trump lost the 2020 presidential election, and that Joe Biden won. They agreed not to serve as electors in 2024 or in the foreseeable future if and when Donald Trump is on the ballot. The lawsuit initially asked for $200,000 in damages, but money will not be awarded. The two Biden electors who filed the civil suit in Wisconsin have also filed one against the two lawyers who encouraged, assisted, and outlined the phony elector scheme in Wisconsin. One of them would be the aforementioned Kenneth Cheesebro. The other is Jim Troupas. He's an ex-judge who was one of Trump's point men in Wisconsin, claiming Biden won the popular vote fraudulently. Among the phony electors indicted in Nevada today is this handsome devil, Michael J. McDonald. The J stands for Jesus Christ. This acid reflux feels like I swallowed a bottle of liquid Drano. That would be Michael J. McDonald. He currently serves as the chairman of Nevada's Republican State Party. Now, Article 16 of the Arizona Republican Party's bylaws says the party, the Republican Party, cannot endorse any candidate who has been convicted of a felony. And this poses a serious problem for Donald Trump, who next year faces four separate criminal trials with a probable conviction handed down before the convention. So right now you're looking at Michael J. McDonald. He is the chairman of Nevada's Republican Party, and he was indicted yesterday, right? 
Meanwhile, this is Christian Ziegler, the chairman of Florida's Republican Party. And he says he will not resign his post, even though a woman who he and his wife allegedly engaged in multiple threesomes with, she stepped forward, accusing Christian Ziegler of forcibly having his way with her. So far, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida Senator Rick Scott, and all the other wonderful leaders of Florida's Republican Party have told Christian Ziegler to step down as chairman of Florida's Republican Party. Rolling Stone reports that back in June, Christian Ziegler addressed Moms for Liberty, an anti-LGBTQ plus organization labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, founded by his wife, Bridget Ziegler. During Christian Ziegler's speech to Moms for Liberty, he told the hate group, never apologize, never back down, never show weakness. Jesus taught you well, Christian Ziegler. You know, in my conversations with listeners this week, they keep asking me, what is wrong with these people? And I said, the better question is, what isn't wrong with these people? I look at Christian Ziegler, and I know him. I know him from high school. I know the type, and you know the type. They were on the wrestling team, very quiet, Dad always had a new car every year, and the wife always rode in the back seat for some reason. You knew never to be alone with anyone from that family. And then, 10 years later, you go to your high school reunion, and you see this guy, and he's incredibly friendly. Slimmed down, but the face is puffed up with a self-satisfied, self-righteous grin. He's deeply religious and, of course, a huge, huge George Bush, Ronald Reagan supporter. But he's friendly about it. He's jovial. He knows who I am, and he puts his hand over my heart and says, David, I know there's a movement conservative deep down in there somewhere, David, We just have to find it. Let me help you find it. No, I'm good. I'm good. And then you you attend your 15th high school reunion. And you wonder, you start looking for him. Where's Ronnie? Oh, you didn't hear? Suicide by cop. Oh, that's too bad. Is his wife here? Last time I remembered, she was kind of hot. On Wednesday, the Colorado Supreme Court heard arguments to remove Donald Trump's name from that state's primary ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which forbids anyone to hold elective office if they swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and then participated in an insurrection. A lower state court in Colorado ruled last month that while Donald Trump did in fact participate in an insurrection. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to candidates for president. Similar efforts to remove Trump from the ballots in Michigan and Minnesota were rejected by the courts, but those decisions are now being 
appealed. On Wednesday, lawyers for free speech for people who filed the suits in Michigan and Minnesota to kick Trump off the ballots filed another suit in Oregon to kick Trump off that state's ballot as well. Well, today, during the oral arguments in Colorado, state Supreme Court Justice William Hood said if Trump's name ends up getting removed from Colorado's ballot, the decision will immediately get kicked up to the United States Supreme Court, which could possibly end up deciding to remove Trump's name from every single ballot in the country, or conversely, forbid his name from getting scraped from any ballot in this country. So I'm going to talk about the argument before the state Supreme Court of Colorado, where Colorado Supreme Court Justice Carlos A. Samor Jr. said he thought the lower court justice in Colorado got it wrong when she ruled that Trump had engaged in an insurrection. Judge Samor suggested her definition of an insurrection wasn't specific enough. In her ruling, the lower court Colorado District Judge Sarah Wallace categorized the crime of participating in an insurrection as the public use or threat of physical force to prevent the execution of any official duties prescribed by the United States Constitution. So, in her lower court ruling in Colorado, she said, Yes, it was an insurrection, and Trump participated in it. But, she went on to rule, the framers of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Clause, they didn't specifically say the Insurrection Clause applies to the office of president. This is weak sauce. Her ruling is, she is right about the President, former president participating in an insurrection. She's wrong in her reading of the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. So upstairs in the Colorado Supreme Court, Justice Samor, along with another justice, concurred with Judge Wallace down in the lower court. They agreed with her ruling that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment specifically mentions senators and members of the House of Representatives being forbidden from holding office if they participated in an insurrection, but the insurrection clause leaves out president and vice president. So the lower court in Colorado, she ruled, yes, it was an insurrection. Yes, Donald Trump participated, but no, the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment does not forbid somebody from being president if they engaged in an insurrection. So lawyers who are challenging Trump, trying to get him kicked off the ballot in Colorado, they argued before the Supreme Court today, uh, they argued that the insurrection clause specifically forbids the president. They pointed to the part of the clause that says, quote, or hold any office as proof that the framers of the 14th Amendment very much intended 
to make the entire federal government off limits to any and all insurrectionists. Here's the sentence. No person shall be a senator, a representative in Congress, or elector of president and vice president. That would be, you know, the electoral college. Or hold any office, comma, civil or military, comma, under the United States or any or under any state if they took an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection, unquote. Okay, so think about this. Nobody's allowed to be a member of the Electoral College, according to the Insurrection Clause. Uh, you can't be an elector to the Electoral College if you participated in an insurrection. Nobody's allowed to be an, an elector who picks the vice president and the president. You're not allowed to have been an insurrectionist and then get to be the, the person who picks the president and the vice president. The next clause in the clause says, or any office. So why would the framers of this amendment say, no insurrectionist can pick our president, but it's okay for them to pick an insurrectionist? You can't be an insurrectionist to pick a president, but you can pick an insurrectionist. Does anybody believe that was the original intent of the framers of the 14th Amendment? That's why they made the blanket statement or hold any office. How much clearer did they have to make it? Or hold any office, as in the office of the president. The words are, or hold any office, comma, civil or military. And it's the comma, as usual, that gives rise to mischief. So because it's, or hold any office, comma, civil or military, you could make the argument that the president is not a civil or military officer, but that wasn't the purpose of the comma. Uh, but that seems to be the argument the lower court's Colorado judge Sarah Wallace made. In other words, nobody in the federal government is allowed to be an insurrectionist unless you want to be president. Nobody in the military can be an insurrectionist. But the head of the military, the commander in chief, he can be an insurrectionist. Got to scrape Donald Trump's name off the ballot. Trump lawyer Scott Gessler told the state Supreme Court justices that while January 6 was violent, it was only a riot that was contained to just one building. That's what he said in front of the state Supreme Court in Colorado. It was only a riot and it was contained only to one, just one building. Yeah, the one that houses our legislative branch on the day it's deciding who should lead the executive branch. Just a little riot inside a little building, sure. Trump's lawyer argued that because of the limited use of weapons that day, that little riot in that little tiny shed on January 6th, he says it didn't rise to the level of an insurrection. Okay, so... This makes me very angry, paranoid 
upset when people talk this way. Like they're gaslighting. I feel like it's like 1938 in Berlin. So let me take a pause here for those of us who actually care about these things. If your definition of an insurrection corresponds with the lower court's ruling in Colorado, okay, then an insurrection is the use of force or the threat to use force to prevent the execution of a duty that's been proclaimed by the United States Constitution. If that's your definition, then it was an insurrection because the certification of the presidential election was stopped that day. It was supposed to be certified on January 6th. The certification didn't take place on January 6th. It ended up taking place early on the morning of January 7th. Therefore, it was an insurrection. So look, I'm not trying to defend Trump, okay? I would never defend Trump. Listeners to the show know that. There is, for my own mental health, there is this naive part of me that tries to understand how it's possible for an entire party of monsters to believe that this was just a riot that got out of hand. So I can sleep at night. I need to figure out how these monsters get get there. How do you get there? Yesterday... Trump's official apologist, Speaker Mike Johnson, said before releasing thousands of hours of security footage from January 6th, he said that he made sure to blur the faces of the participants so they wouldn't be harassed by the Justice Department. Harassed. You mean arrested? He said the the Justice Department has a habit of harassing the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And I said on the show yesterday, how do you get there? How do you think that? Why would you want to protect these animals who came looking for Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence with zip ties and a noose and knives and what else? So... What am I, what are you, what are we not seeing that Mike Johnson sees, that uh, Kevin McCarthy saw, where they don't think it's an insurrection? What are they saying? How do you get into their head to justify any of this? So, because I find it very upsetting. So to calm myself down, I try to see through the eyes of these monsters just so maybe I can sleep because it's disturbing. It's disturbing to watch people trivialize what happened on January 6th. It's disturbing to see people trivializing Donald Trump's attempts to steal the election, okay? And the ensuing fascism. I'm guessing if you're Speaker Mike Johnson or Jim Jordan, you're thinking Donald Trump had the Oath Keepers on the steps of the Capitol that day. 
two of the leaders of the Oath Keepers right now are doing time for seditious conspiracy. They brought to Washington enough arms, according to one witness, to invade Fallujah. They were heavily armed. It was in a hotel room where they kept all those arms. There are reports that Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, was on the phone with the White House during the insurrection. So if you're Jim Jordan or Andy Biggs or Scott Perry or Speaker Mike Johnson, you're thinking Trump never gave Stuart Rhodes the word to attack. Could have, but he didn't. That's what these Republicans are thinking. These Republicans are thinking an insurrection would have been when the Oath Keepers started firing on our Capitol police officers and then stormed the building and took hostages. That's what they're thinking. Okay, I'm guessing if you're Mike Johnson or Jim Jordan, you know how heavily armed far right extremists in this country truly are. You know how heavily armed the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th were. We know that the magnetometers caught hundreds of guns and weapons on the ellipse before Donald Trump went out to speak. So if you're any of those people, you know the kind of damage Trump's goons could have committed that day. And so you think January 6th was just a riot, just a bunch of goofballs who got caught up in the frenzy and broke things. That is what I believe they think and they truly believe. And again, they're monsters. It was an insurrection. They're dangerous. They're authoritarian. They're theocratic fascists. But they know the damage that could have been done that day if Trump wanted it to be a real insurrection. Uh, I think they look at somebody like me and go, you are so naive. David, trust me, if Trump wanted an insurrection, believe me, there would have been an insurrection. That, that was just a riot. Okay. They're wrong. It was an insurrection because just, just because you tried to rob a bank and got stopped, that, that doesn't mean you didn't try to rob a bank. Just because an insurrection failed because you didn't give it everything you got doesn't mean it wasn't an attempted insurrection. Just because you didn't use all the weapons at your disposal doesn't mean it was only a riot. It was an insurrection. But if you come from the kind of gun culture these Republicans come from, knowing what they themselves are capable of, they're going to see January 6th as a riot. Again, they're thinking, trust me, if Trump and his goons really wanted to take over the Capitol, 
they wouldn't have been using flagpoles and bear spray. Uh, it gives me strange comfort to believe that's what they're thinking. I don't know why it comforts me to, to think that is what they're, they're thinking. In a way, I, I want to hate them less. So I need to get inside their heads. I don't know. Probably my own weaknesses. People make allowances for violence. That's what I understand. Uh, they do. People make allowances for violence if it's perpetrated by people you agree with. Uh, there were a lot of liberals in the 70s who were kind of forgiving of the weather underground. So if you're... If you're sympathetic, if you have uh, uh, mutual interests politically, you tend to be a little more understanding when certain people turn to violence. I mean, look at how hard it was on October 7th for Palestinian sympathizers at Harvard or Columbia to condemn Hamas and the massacre and the kidnapping of all those innocent Israelis. Look at how some of the leading voices in the Me Too movement on campus tie themselves in knots right now trying to contextualize the rapes that took place on October 7th. Conversely, look at how those who side with the Jews defend Benjamin Netanyahu's disproportionate response in Gaza. We tend to forgive violence when we agree with the people who are violent. In this country, violence is always, always on the table. And it's not frowned on, really. Right now, Congress is debating a $110 billion emergency supplemental. And a good portion of that will go towards weapons for Ukraine. I'm not sure the supplemental for Ukraine will pass. It didn't do well today in, uh, in the Senate. They did a test vote. It didn't do well. Now, I've heard a lot of arguments against giving weapons to Ukraine. The argument against funding Ukraine is... Zelensky, the president, doesn't have clearly defined objectives. That's one argument. Another argument is there's no oversight to make sure the weapons we give him don't fall into the wrong hands. The other argument is we should be on the side of Putin instead of Zelensky. You hear that in the dark recesses of the Republican caucus. There are plenty of arguments when it comes to funding the war in Ukraine. But the one argument I'm not hearing is the one for diplomacy. Biden, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State Mike Johnson, Chuck Schumer, nobody is saying, how do we put an end to the killing? All they're arguing over is whether America is going to pay for the killing or not. We hear, we hear this argument when it comes to Hamas and Israel. We do hear that, like, 
diplomacy. We do hear that when it comes to Israel. We don't hear it when it comes to Ukraine. Marjorie Taylor Greene loves violence. Her campaign ads feature the Georgia congresswoman literally with rocket launchers firing on a hybrid car with the word liberal on it. Last month, she excoriated the head of the FBI for obsessing about January 6th, which she called a three-hour event. I played the clip. She referred to it as a three-hour event. Not a riot, a three-hour event. An event, like, you know, the series finale of Games of Thrones. Last month, when Congresswoman Daryl Issa joined seven other Republicans to vote against her motion to impeach the head of Homeland Security, she called Daryl Issa a pussy, said he needs to grow some. Her rhetoric and worldview are tinged with violence, and that's to put it mildly. She adores Donald Trump and lobbied hard for him to be the one who replaced Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. When the Fulton County District Attorney indicted Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene said they should leave him alone and, and I wish I were making this up, Marjorie Taylor Greene told the Fulton County DA, leave Donald Trump alone, go after rapists, unquote. This only months after a jury in New York ruled that Donald Trump was guilty of raping E. Jean Carroll. There are at least 30 credible sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is out there every chance she gets to open for him at his rallies. Because during the Me Too movement, Marjorie Taylor Greene rejects the term believe women. And the Republican Party, that's a tough one. Believe women. They don't believe women. Congressman Marie Newman has been on this show. She has a transgender daughter. Her office is next door to Marjorie Taylor Greene's office. So to mock Congresswoman Newman's daughter, Marjorie Taylor Greene posted a sign outside her office that Congressman Marie Newman, with a transgender daughter, has to see a couple of times a day. The sign reads, quote, there are two genders, male and female trust the science, unquote. Trust the science. This from someone who thinks the earth is 6,000 years old and won't get vaccinated. Two weeks ago, I reported that Marjorie Taylor Greene was going to step forward in December to report that she had been physically assaulted by a male member of the Republican caucus. I don't know if you remember but I told you this two weeks ago. And sure enough, today, she brought an official complaint to Speaker Mike Johnson about fellow Georgia Republican, Republican Congressman Richard McCormick. Now, according to the latest reporting, Green says she was physically assaulted by Republican Congressman from Georgia Richard McCormick. The assault took place during a meeting 
of the Republican caucus last month. And this is very serious. McCormick and Green at the time had competing resolutions to censure Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. Marjorie Taylor Greene's resolution to censure her was rejected, but Congressman McCormick's resolution to censure Rashida Tlaib made it all the way through the House and got passed. It was his his motion that resulted in Rashida Tlaib getting censured, not Marjorie Taylor Greene's. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was very upset. She wanted her censure motion to succeed, not Congressman McCormick's. Now, you might remember she got kicked out of the Freedom Caucus for turning on Lauren Boebert. Well, why did Marjorie Taylor Greene turn on Lauren Boebert? Well, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert introduced articles of impeachment for Joe Biden that Marjorie Taylor Greene insisted were identical to her articles of impeachment for Joe Biden that she had already introduced. And Marjorie Taylor Greene felt, why are you introducing your own articles of of impeachment? Why can't you get on board mine? So Marjorie, this is all true, by the way. This is why Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked out of the Freedom Caucus partly for supporting Kevin McCarthy as speaker, but mostly because of this. Marjorie cornered Lauren Boebert on the House floor, walked up to her and said, and I quote, you know, you're a little bitch. Not making this up. And then she said to Lauren Boebert, you stole my articles of impeachment. It was my idea to impeach Joe Biden. And, and you stole my articles of impeachment. You're a little bitch. And then it turned into a bit of a screaming match in the congressional ladies room. Not making this up. And now Marjorie Taylor Greene will not stop calling Lauren Boebert a whore. Whenever Lauren Boebert's name comes up in conversation, In the halls of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene says, you mean that whore? Like I said, what's not wrong with these people? Stop asking me what's wrong with these people. What's not wrong with these people? Anyway, so after Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American only Palestinian-American serving in Congress, after she was censured, there was a meeting of the Republican caucus. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was seething because, you know, she got what she wanted. Rashida Tlaib was censured, but it wasn't Marjorie's censure, right? It was Congressman McCormick's. And she was seething. And while waiting for the meeting of the Republican caucus to begin, Congressman Cormick found himself in an argument with another House Republican over something. And then Congressman McCormick, the Georgia congressman who motioned to censure Rashida Tlaib, made it all the way through and passed. 
He had had enough of this argument, and he did a 180. He turned around to walk away from this argument. He does a 180, and he sees Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he smiles, and he thinks, oh, a kindred spirit. We both wanted to censure Rashida Tlaib. And he grabbed her by the shoulders, shook her, and said, at least we can have an honest discussion. Right? In other words, we're both bigots from Georgia. We're both hateful Islamophobes who introduced resolutions to censure Rashida Tlaib. I can have an honest discussion with you. And he shook her like that. But Marjorie was still harboring a grudge because her resolution to censure Rashida Tlaib failed and McCormick's succeeded. So she said something along the lines of, get your hands off of me. McCormick immediately apologized and thought that was the end of it. But she immediately contacted the new speaker to say she was physically assaulted by her fellow Islamophobic bigot from Georgia. And now Mike Johnson has to decide whether to initiate an ethics investigation. By the way, I'm not sure if Rashida Tlaib is Muslim or Christian, uh, but they're still... (laughs) They're still Islamophobes. Uh, Okay. So, about Marjorie Taylor Greene being physically assaulted. Do I subscribe to believe all women? I do. I believe all women. Should a man grab a woman by the shoulders and shake her? without permission, even if he thinks he's being friendly? No. Nope. Does Marjorie Taylor Greene have the right to feel she had been violated by her fellow racist, Islamophobic bigot when he grabbed her without permission? Yes. I know an attack on one woman is an attack against all women. But we're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. So there's something else that also has to be said. Unfortunately, it can't be said because it would be taken out of context. But it's what every single one of my listeners, especially the women, are thinking. So... I'm now going to say what needs to be said about Marjorie Taylor Greene, but in a way that only my longtime listeners will understand. You know, you'll understand what I'm saying if you've been a longtime listener, and this way my words will not be taken out of context, okay? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Donald Trump. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Blah, blah. E. Jean Carroll. Blah, 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 blah. 
On March 18th, 2021, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of 172 Republicans in the House who voted against reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act. Blah, 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 blah. And so did Mike Johnson. She refused to authorize the boyfriend loophole when it comes to abusive boyfriends buying a gun. So blah, 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 you. Blah, you, and you're blahing, blah, blah, blah. No, seriously, Marjorie Taylor Greene, go blah yourself. This way it won't be taken out of context. Okay, I told you two weeks ago that Marjorie Taylor Greene was going to to step forward saying she was physically assaulted. Another thing I told you was that Kevin McCarthy uh, would be out by Christmas. And yes, I'm boasting because I'm still licking my wounds on the George Santos prediction, which I got completely wrong in real time. So I'm trying to puff up my ego. Uh, I I told you that Marjorie Taylor Greene was going to step forward and say she was physically assaulted, and uh, she did. And I told you McCarthy would be gone before Christmas. And today he announced after 20 years in Congress, nine months as Speaker, he is leaving the House of Representatives. McCarthy made the announcement in an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal that someone wrote for him. He had a ghost liar. I mean, they're, they're his lies, but he needed someone to actually sit down and organize the lies into a coherent, coherent op-ed piece for the Wall Street Journal. He's not equipped to lie in writing by himself. Not too bright. By the way, op-ed, he wrote an op-ed piece. It's a uh, term, a lot of people don't know what op-ed means. It was invented by the New York Times, op-ed. It's short for opposite the editorial page, op-ed. If you were to buy a paper version of the New York Times and open up the back, there's the editorial page that's on the left, Not metaphorically, it's on the left page. And then on the right, where they publish opinion pieces, uh, that's called the op-ed page, because it's opposite the editorial page, op-ed. But Kevin McCarthy wrote his op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, where op-ed stands for opposite of educated, Anyway, uh, I read his piece and he lied, quote, I have decided to depart the House at the end of this year. He went on to lie. I'm leaving the House in order to serve America in new ways, unquote, to serve America, right, to serve it up to the oil and banking interests, 
It's going to be a lobbyist to serve America. What has this man ever done for America? The only piece of legislation he passed this year was the Fiscal Responsibility Act back in June, which brought back mandatory work requirements for food stamps. Cast a bust of him for Statuary Hall. What a hero. McCarthy is the only speaker in American history ever to be thrown out of office. Never forget that. Never happened before. Speakers either resign or their party loses the majority. He is the only speaker to be ejected. And so the humiliation was too much. Now he'll go collect a big fat salary on K Street serving America by putting us all out of our misery, lobbying for the fossil fuel industry, and we'll all be dead in five years. So at least he's doing that for us. In the Wall Street Journal article, Kevin McCarthy promised to continue his mission to recruit, recruit, to recruit, quote, the country's best and brightest to run for elected office. That's what he literally lied in the Wall Street Journal today. I'm going to help recruit the country's best and brightest to run for elected office. And, you know, that's actually true. I mean, one thing you have to say about Kevin McCarthy, the man only surrounded himself with the best and the brightest. <sighs> okay. I will give him this, however. I'm trying not to hate people. We're coming up on the holiday season. I just want to hate myself. I'd like to go into a nice depression this time of year and only hate myself, not other people. So I will give Kevin McCarthy this. The night before the vote to remove him, he placed a call to this guy, Tennessee Republican Congressman Tim Boucher, asking for his support. And Boucher said, Kevin, I haven't made up my mind. I'm still praying on it. And to Kevin McCarthy's credit, he started to laugh and said, still praying on it? Are you kidding me? And then laughed. And Congressman Boucher the next day went on CNN and accused Kevin McCarthy of saying things about Congressman Boucher's religious beliefs that he wouldn't repeat, but he knew then and there he could never vote for Kevin McCarthy. And then a few weeks later, Kevin McCarthy elbowed Boucher in the kidney. And after he got elbowed in the kidney, Congressman Boucher went on CNN the next day and said, I prayed for Kevin McCarthy this morning because I know he's hurting. Obviously, Kevin McCarthy didn't elbow this guy in the kidney hard enough. That would be Tim Boucher. Tim, I'm praying on it. Boucher from Tennessee, he's praying on it. Have you ever, I know some people who have used that term. I'm praying on it. I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm curious about Tim Boucher. 
Does he prey on it when he votes to get rid of the child tax credit and double childhood poverty in America? Does he prey on that? Does he prey on it when he says there's no money for food stamps? Does he prey on it when he votes to let the eviction moratorium lapse? Does he prey on it before voting to gut Obamacare or to keep the price of insulin for children unaffordable? And if so, who's he praying to? Satan? I'm praying on it. Tuesday night, Speaker Mike Johnson delivered the keynote address at the National Association of Christian Lawmakers in Washington, D.C. The event was held at the Bible Museum. The Bible Museum in Washington. Hmm. I wonder if that's the same Bible Museum where Michelle Bachman's husband, Marcus, accidentally farted out a strange man's purity ring. Because I remember being at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. when Marcus Bachman, Michelle Bachman's husband, accidentally farted out a strange man's purity ring. But I wonder if that's the same Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. Maybe it's a different Bible Museum. I just remember Marcus Bachman, Michelle Bachman's husband, in a Bible Museum, farting out a strange man's purity ring. Anyway, the National Association of Christian Lawmakers was founded by Jason Rapert. Uh, that's his uh, name right there, Jason Rapert. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it properly, or maybe the T is silent. Uh, we talked about Jason Rapert, who last month after Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders appointed him to her state's library board, he took credit for Huckabee signing into law earlier this year some of America's cruelest anti-trans legislation. He, he lost re-election, and he was like a state senator, I think, in Arkansas. And so to, to thank him uh, for, for basically writing one of America's cruelest anti-trans laws that got passed in Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders appointed him to her state's library board. I guess he would be the book banner in chief uh, anyway, uh, that's what they do in Arkansas, one of the poorest states in America. I think it's the fifth poorest state in, in America. I think it's the like has the third worst public school system in America. And they're helping. That's how Sarah Huckabee Sanders improves test scores by uh, passing one of the cruelest anti-trans laws in America. Good on you. Anyway, Rapert believes homosexuality is the result of grooming by older gay men. Doesn't believe you're born a homosexual. Someone isn't born gay. They're converted by a groomer. Hence, gay conversion therapy. If someone converted you, 
to be gay, we can convert you back to being in the closet. Because that's all gay conversion therapy is. That's all it is. If you take the battery clamps off my jewels, I promise I'll go back into the closet. Human rights organizations call gay conversion therapy torture. So it should come as no surprise to you that one of the lawyers for Exodus International, one of the leading purveyors of gay conversion therapy, was Mike Johnson. He was the lawyer for Exodus International until they went out of business in 2013 after the president of Exodus International said, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It's cruel and it doesn't work. I know it doesn't work because I'm still attracted to men. Mike Johnson, lawyer for Exodus International. Anyway, according to Right Wing Watch, which I think may have been founded by Norman Lear, not sure. I think Right Wing Watch was founded by Norman Lear. Uh, let me know in the comments section. But according to Right Wing Watch, Raypert, like Speaker Mike Johnson, subscribes to the teachings of Dutch Sheets. Yes, that's his name, Dutch Sheets. I think Dutch Sheets was also one of the ghosts in Field of Dreams. It sounds like one of, one of the Black Sox, Dutch Sheets. Anyway, but Dutch Sheets is uh, a dominionist. And I hope I'm not pronouncing this properly because they don't deserve it. But he's a dominionist from the new apost apostolic. There we go. He's a dominionist from the new apostolic reformation. The new apostolic reformation. Dutch sheets. So what is the new apostolic reformation? Well, if you've gone to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. and heard the speaker speak in tongues. We have this is our first speaker who speaks in tongues. Uh, you would know what the new apostolic reformation is. Dutch Sheets, who Mike Johnson is a big supporter of, Dutch Sheets is said to have been the religious leader for many of the January Sixers who stormed the Capitol carrying his appeal to heaven flag. You can see it right here. This is the same flag that stands outside the office door of Speaker Mike Johnson right now. Appeal to heaven. Dominionists like Dutch Sheets and Mike Johnson, our speaker, they believe in the doctrine of conquering the seven mountains. What are the seven mountains? It's not Chris Christie wearing a tank top sitting on a bar stool. That's a different seven mountains. The seven mountains doctrine calls on good Christians to take, to carry their biblical worldview and conquer the second mountain, the seven mountains of American society. They must take it upon themselves to infiltrate and then rule the seven mountains, the seven spheres of American society. And those seven mountains would be family, 
religion, education, Moms for Liberty, media, entertainment, business, and politics. This is theocratic fascism. Going my way or the highway because there only is one way. Mike Johnson's speech before the National Association of Christian Lawmakers last night at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., where they have free dinosaur rides, his speech was recorded and then posted to their Facebook page, but then it was quickly taken down, kind of the way Mike Johnson's wife took her website down. But Rolling Stone magazine luckily saw the speech, and they wrote about Mike Johnson's speech at the Bible Museum last night. And the Speaker of the House, the man who is second in line to the president, told the group that he's been doing a lot of talking lately with God. Mm-hmm. And that's never good. It's never good when the Speaker of the House says he's been talking to God. You know, it's one thing to pray to God, but if God is uh, talking to you back, you need to check yourself in. So what, what did God tell? What did God tell? What did God say to you, Speaker Johnson? Did he tell you that homosexuality leads to bestiality? Or did you and your wife come up with that one all by yourself? Because this is what the Speaker of the House of Representatives here in the United States and his wife not only believe, but have said out loud, homosexuality leads to bestiality. Now, that, I have a problem with this because... It implies that bestiality is far, far, far worse than homosexuality. If homosexuality leads to bestiality, what you're saying is, okay, bestiality is really bad. So if you engage in homosexual activity, next thing you know, it could lead to something even worse, worse, bestiality. If he's saying homosexuality... Well, he is saying, he's saying homosexuality leads to bestiality. He's saying homosexuality is weed. It's the gateway drug to the heroin that is bestiality. So, one would think Mike Johnson, right now, would be calling for stricter laws against bestiality. Bestiality is the, is the problem it's worse than homosexuality. Seems to me Mike Johnson should be tackling the Schedule One sex acts, like bestiality, by, but instead of worrying about the less addictive, more socially acceptable Schedule Two sex acts, like homosexuality. Because bestiality 
is heroin. It's a schedule one sex act. Trust me, it's hard to get off that shit. Don't don't try it. And by the way, let's not forget that Mike Johnson represents the swamplands of Louisiana. We know who his constituents are. If homosexuality leads to bestiality, does that mean anyone who's had relations with the family dog is gay? If that's how you get to bestiality by starting off as a homosexual, that means anybody who slept with a family dog had gay rela- So is Mike Johnson, Do you? is he going to go there? I'm pretty certain most of the backwater hicks who voted for Mike Johnson down in Louisiana have done things with their dog on a Saturday night they're not too proud of. And now you're going to accuse them of also being gay? I'm not sure the backwater hicks who voted for Mike Johnson want to be told they're gay. Anyway, I really want to get back to hating myself. It's the holiday season. I really just want to focus on self-loathing. I don't want to think about Mike Johnson. Um, Anyway, according to Rolling Stone magazine, Johnson gave this speech at the Bible Museum last night, and he said the media wasn't in the room so he could speak freely without reporters taking his words out of context. He's got a big problem with the media taking his words out of context. The only problem with that, Mike Johnson, is nobody took your words out of context. You said homosexuality leads to bestiality. Nobody took your words out of context. You took those words off the Internet. Your wife took it off the Internet. You took it completely out of context off the Internet. But that is what you said. That's what you said. You've written columns criticizing the Supreme Court's ruling in Lawrence versus the state of Texas, which legalized homosexuality. He uh, he wrote that the decision was wrong. He has called for the criminalization of homosexuality. Nobody is taking your words out of context. We're reading your words. For example, this was an article he wrote after the Supreme Court ruled six to three in Lawrence versus Texas that strikes down Texas's homosexual sodomy law. Okay. It made the act of homosexuality legal. And Mike Johnson says homosexuality should be criminalized. These are your words, okay? Uh, Quote, there is clearly no, where is it? Prescriptions against sodomy have deep roots in religion, politics, and laws. States have always maintained the right to discourage the evils of sexual conduct outside marriage. And the state is right to discriminate between heterosexual and homosexual conduct since the latter cannot occur within the confines of marriage. More than 
a dozen pro-family and legal advocacy groups, including my own, filed amicus briefs to assist the court in this case. Most of the briefs shared two common essential themes. States have many legitimate grounds to proscribe same-sex deviant sexual intercourse, including concerns for public health, safety, morals, and the promotion of healthy marriage. Okay? This is what you have in writing, okay? There is clearly no right to sodomy in the Constitution, and the right of privacy of the home has never placed all activity within the home outside the bounds of the criminal law. All right. Uh, I could go on and on. Nobody took your hateful, bigoted words out of context. You said homosexuality should be criminalized. When it was legalized, you wrote columns uh, as a lawyer for the Alliance Defense Fund, which the Southern Poverty Law Center calls a, a hate group. You put into writing that homosexuality should be criminalized. Nobody's taking your words out of context. Anyway, Mike Johnson spoke at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. last night. And this is where it gets kind of scary. He told the audience that God speaks to him. Not making this up. And he said God told him to prepare for a Red Sea moment. He thinks he's Moses. Seriously. Seriously. The man is suffering from a paranoid delusional disorder. Johnson told the audience at first, he said at first he thought God wanted him to be Aaron, Moses's brother, who spoke for Moses because Moses had a stutter. Moses stuttered because it took another thousand years or two before Jesus came around to heal those kinds of afflictions. So this is true. Mike Johnson told the audience at the Bible Museum that he figured he was going to be Aaron, who would help some other Moses, like Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan. I'm not making this up. He said, because he was so low in the congressional pecking order, it never occurred to him that I could be Moses. You know, Moses the lawgiver. Mike Johnson thinks the Speaker of the House is Moses. Now, does he realize Moses was a Jew? One of the Jews who wrote the Old Testament, which I thought people like Mike Johnson rejected in order to follow the New Testament, also written by a bunch of other Jews. Uh, uh, you know, at least the New Testament Jews created Christianity, the thing that I thought Mike Johnson believed in. But, but Moses? He thinks he's Moses. Moses, Mike Johnson, that's the eye for an eye Jew, not the turn the other cheek Jew. 
Why, if you're a devout evangelical Christian, do you think Moses, that you're Moses and not Jesus? Shouldn't you think you're Jesus? Oh, why, why is that? Why would you, why would an evangelical Christian who believes in Jesus think he's Moses? Why? Because he's sick in the head. He's a very sick man. And he's hearing voices. Anyway, back to his speech. Moses said unto Mike Johnson, there are 13 Republicans who shall runneth for speaker. Okay? And Moses said to Mike Johnson, wait, wait, wait. Okay? So Moses is talking to Mike Johnson and Mike Johnson thinks he's Moses, and, and Moses, or he's telling himself, wait, wait. There are 13 Republicans running for speaker. You wait. And then all of a sudden, he said, Moses disappeared. Moses stepped away. I'm not making this in Rolling Stone magazine. You can read this. And then the Lord, according to Michael, Mike Johnson, the Lord stepped in, and he started talking to Mike Johnson. First, Moses was talking to Mike Johnson, and then the Lord. That, of course, would be Jesus. So I, I can't imagine Moses and Jesus tag-teaming Mike Johnson, working together, because I've read their, their works and not sure... The two of them see eye to eye on that whole eye for an eye thing. But according to Mike Johnson, who was speaking at the Bible Museum last night, they tag teamed him and Jesus took it. He said to Moses, let me have the microphone. And then he said to Mike Johnson, step forward. And Mike Johnson, this is what he told the audience. Mike Johnson said to Jesus, me? Me step forward? And Jesus said, no, Mike Pence, the other psychotic douchebag in the Republican Party. I want him to step forward. No, you. I want you to step. Okay, Jesus didn't say that to Mike Johnson. He was thinking it. But according to Mike Johnson, Jesus said, yes. Step forward. Step forward. It's your time. And Mike Johnson said to Jesus, I'm not making this up. This is in Rolling Stone magazine. And Mike Johnson said unto Jesus, but I'm supposed to be Aaron. And Jesus said, Hank Aaron? Aaron Neville? Aaron Carter? And Mike said, no, Aaron and, and Jesus said, Aaron who? And Mike Johnson said, he didn't know his last name. And Jesus said, there are like a million Aaron's out there. And Mike said, Moses's brother, Aaron. And Jesus said, which Moses? Moses Malone? Woody Allen's son, Moses? Grandma Moses? And Mike Johnson said, no, Moses from the Old Testament. And Jesus said, oh, you mean 
Moses Gittle. And Mike Johnson said, Moses's last name was Gittle? And Jesus said, yeah, it was originally Gittleman, but that didn't fly as an Egyptian prince. So he changed it. Not that he was ashamed. It just made sense at the time. Nobody's hiring an Egyptian prince named Gittleman. Anyway, you talked to his brother, Aaron Gittle? Anyway, uh, Jesus told uh, Moses to step forward. And uh, Jesus told Mike Johnson to step forward, and he stepped forward. And Mike uh, ran for speaker. He ran for speaker because Jesus told him he was Moses. This man thinks he's Moses. An evangelical Christian thinks he's Moses. Our speaker is a Jew trapped in a Gentile's body. For God's sake, Mike Johnson, knob gobble a man already. Will you knob gobble a man? But take off your glasses first. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. If uh, you enjoyed any of this, and I don't know why you would, please like this so I remain in your feed. Please share this with uh, your devout friends. Uh, please subscribe to my channel. Please subscribe to my newsletter. Please share this. Please leave a comment. Uh, if I got anything wrong, uh, let me know. And thank you to Bob and everybody in the uh, chat room. Uh, I will see everybody tomorrow. Thank you.